0: is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com.
1: Welcome to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. Thank you for being with us on this beautiful day. Going to start out with our weekly wrap and the Dow Jones Industrial Average eked out a slim gain this week while the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ saw modest declines. The beginning of the week was quiet in terms of market-moving events and somewhat light on participation. The second half of the week featured plenty of market-moving events, capped off with a quarterly options and futures expiration day on Friday. Downside moves had the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ close below their 50-day moving averages. The major indices had been on track for a winning week until Friday's retreat. Despite a lower finish at the index, level 8 of the 11 S&P 500 sectors closed with a gain. Information technology, which is the most heavily weighted sector, gained 2.2%. Apple was a top laggard from the infotech sector, dropping 1.8% this week amid reports of ongoing scrutiny in China following its product event that featured introduction of iPhone 15. Adobe was another weak component, dropping 5.6% following its underwhelming fiscal fourth quarter guidance. Weak semiconductor constituents also contributed to the sector's underperformance. The weakness followed uh, ARMS' successful IPO on Thursday, and a Reuters report that Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing is is delaying chip chip equipment shipments. Get that tongue turned around. Anyway, the PHLX semiconductor index fell two and a half percent. Netflix, which is among the top performers this year, tumbled 10.4 percent this week with the disclosure that the ad business is not material yet for its overall revenue. The collective weight of large cap losses weighed heavily on index performance. The mega cap growth growth ETF declined to eight tenths of one percent. The market cap weighted S and P 500 fell two tenths of one percent. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 Equal Weight uh, ETF fell by a modest one-tenth of one percent. There were some other corporate news items that drove selling activity, including Spirit Airlines, Frontier Group, Delta Airlines, and American Airlines, all warning about their third-quarter outlooks partially due to rising fuel costs. Additionally, United Auto Workers launched its targeted strikes on three manufacturing plants, one for each of the big three, while being, after being unable to reach a deal for a new contract with the automakers, the uh, St- 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 Stellantis, General Motors, and, G- and, and Ford, uh, all actually actually clo- clo- uh, Ford, I guess I should say also also gained with two and a half percent. Stellantis was up five point six, and General Motors was up three percent, respectively, for the week. Market participants also digested a s- slate of economic releases. Chief among them was the August Consumer Price Index report. Briefly, CPI was up a robust 6 tenths of 1% as expected, and core CPI, which excludes food and energy, was up 3 tenths of 1%. That left the total CPI up 3.7% year-over-year versus 3.2% in July, and the core CPI is up 4.3% year-over-year versus 4.7% in July. The key takeaway from the report is that core inflation, which is what the Fed monitors more closely, showed ongoing improvement on a year-over-year basis. However, it's still well above the Fed's 2% target, reflecting a sticky uh, quality that probably won't compel the Fed to raise rates further at this point, but which will certainly keep the Fed in a higher-for-longer mindset. Treasuries handled this week's inflation data reasonably well, which was supportive of stocks. Yields uh, uh, drifted higher but moved were, pan- we're not we're not panicky. The two-year note yield rose 7 basis points this week for 504%, and the 10-year yield note rose 7 basis points this week to 4.33%. Rising oil prices remained top of mind this week. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil futures jumped 4.2% to $91 a barrel. As a reminder, the Fed meets next week with a policy decision announcement at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, Market participants are not expected to rate hike and will be focused on the updated summary of economic projections and the tone of uh, Fed Chair Powell's takes at the press conference. So here are some summaries of the week. On Monday, the major indices started the week with gains, although on light volume on the New York Stock Exchange, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ closed near their best levels of the day, which had both indices above their 50-day moving averages. Strength from some mega-cap names provided a nice boost to the broader market. The NASDAQ climbed 1.1%, the market cap-weighted S&P rose 7 tenths of 1%, while the S&P 500 equal weight eked out a 2 tenths of 1% gain. Tesla was a notable outperformer, jumping 10% after being upgraded to overweight from equal weight at Morgan Stanley. Market breadth was positive, but moderately so. Advancers led decliners up by 11 to 10 margin at the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. There was no other major economic data at note on Monday. On Tuesday, Tuesday's session started with a positive bias under the surface despite a mixed performance in the index level. The S&P 500 and the NASDAQ were negative territory early on, although somewhat modest losses. That weakness had them both underwater under their 50-day moving averages. At the same time, the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the Russell 2000 were trading up, and market breadth was positive. The early underperformance seen in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ was largely driven by softness in the mega-cap space and a big decline in Oracle following its earnings report and relatively disappointing guidance. The midday push higher saw the S&P 500 briefly climb past its 50-day moving average, but it was unable to maintain that posture which invited increased in selling activity in the afternoon trade. The major indices spent most of the afternoon in a steady decline. The Dow Jones Industrial Average finished with a fractional loss of the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ Composite closed near their worst levels of the day. Apple was, the, uh, was weak in front of its closely watched product event and pulled back following a state of announcements that featured the introduction of the iPhone 15. Rising oil prices, which hit their highest levels since last November, were another uh, overhang for the market. On Wednesday, we saw the trade was lackluster, with major indices registering only modest gains or losses. The advanced decline line favored decliners, but there wasn't a lot of conviction overall. The major indices followed the direction of the mega cap stocks, which drove some choppy action in the morning and later in the afternoon. The key takeaway from Wednesday was morning CPI report is that core inflation, which is what the Fed monitors more closely, showed ongoing improvement on a year-over-year basis. However, it's still well above that 2% target, reflecting a sticky quality that probably won't compel the Fed to raise rates further at this point, but will certainly keep the Fed in a higher-for-longer mindset. The Treasury market saw some knee-jerk selling in response to the data. Things quickly calmed down, though. Which was supportive of the market. The two-year note jumped to 5.07% after the data, but finished at 4.99, one basis point lower than Tuesday's settlement. The ten-year note hit a 4.34% following the data, and fell two basis points from Tuesday at four and a quarter. Looking at some of Wednesday's economic data, we saw that total CPI increased six tenths of one percent month over month in August, as expected with rising gasoline prices accounting for over half of that increase. And the weekly MBA mortgage index was down 8.1 percent while of 1%, while decreasing after decreasing 2.9% last week, the refinance index was down 5.4%, and the purchase index was up 1.3%. The August Treasury budget showed a surprising surplus of $89.2 billion compared to a deficit of $219.6 billion in the same period a year ago, the su- surplus in August resulted from receipts $283.1 billion exceeding outlays $193.9 billion. The Treasury budget and data is, set, is not reasonably adjusted, not seasonably adjusted to the August 23 surplus, cannot be compared to the July of 23 deficit of $220.8 billion. The key takeaway from the report is that outlays included impacts from the $319 billion debt relief reversal downward. Uh, modification in the Department of Education's Federal Direct Student Loans Program. August typically shows a budget deficit 68 times out of the last 69 fiscal years since there was no major tax uh, due dates. Weekly crude oil inventories increased to 3.954 million barrels after decreasing 6.307 million barrels a week ago. Let's stick down here with you with Wealth Wake Up Live. We'll be back in a moment.
0: Okay, next up for the auction, we have an amazing deal, this beautiful new American Standard Furnace and Heat Pump. It is consumer best rated, has a 10-year parts warranty, and it'll be installed by the pros at Linden Sheet Metal. Let's start the auction! First for the savings, we have incredible tax credits. Do I hear $1,000? $1,000? $1,500? about about $2,000? So You now have $2,000 off of Furnace and Heat Pump. For utilities rebates, there's a mixed bag. Depending on what you get, there are savings of up to $2,400. We also have manufacturers dealer rebates up to $1,500. And for our final item, we have financing. Zero down and zero interest if paid according to a contract. Do you're know, here six months down? looking for 12 months ahead of now, 18 months, 18 months to have, we have a winner. Congratulations. You don't have to be
2: at the auction to make these great deals. It's open to everyone that calls. This deal includes tax credits, rebates, and easy financing. But don't wait. These savings won't be around forever. You too can be a winner. Call us today. Linden Sheet Metal, serving the Northwest for over 80 years.
0: Homelessness is a challenge many face in Whatcom County, but there is hope. Since 1923, the Lighthouse Mission Ministries has been providing shelter and services for those who need it most. Lighthouse Mission provides a safe and caring environment for individuals and families experiencing homelessness. The Mission offers a warm bed, hot meals, and supportive community to help hurting neighbors back on their feet. But they don't stop there. With the help of generous people in our community, the Lighthouse Mission also offers case management, addiction recovery, Services, job training, and educational resources to help people achieve long term success. Everyone deserves a chance to rebuild their life. Your help is needed to make that happen. Your donation will make a huge impact on the lives of men and women in our community. Please visit the Lighthousemission.org to learn more about how you can help support our neighbors who are homeless. Your donation will make a huge impact on the lives of men and women in our community. Please visit the Lighthousemission.org to learn more about how you can help support our neighbors who are homeless. Together we can provide a brighter future for those in need. Lighthouse Mission Ministries, where hope begins. Learn more at thelighthousemission.org. The
2: opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife.
1: Don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, and we are Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway. That's Old Highway 99 north of the Slater Road in the Pacific Commerce Center. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248, phone number 360-733-1200. Give us a call. Love to talk with you. Love to meet with you. Also, on a personal note, I had kind of a great experience on uh, Tuesday of this week. Uh, I've often made tickets available on our broadcast for the Mariners, and uh, they invited those of us that were 25-year season ticket holders down to go out on the field before Tuesday night's game, which was that 8 to nothing win. And uh, so I think they said there were 99 of us that had had tickets for, for 25 years. And so they paraded us out behind the pitching mound, and one of those, um, um, one of us that had the tickets that long, name was drawn. He had the privilege of throwing out the first pitch. So kind of fun down on the field. Kind of see it a little different view down there than it is up in those seats. But uh, anyway, it's kind of a nice evening. It was great evening. Actually, great weather. Okay, continuing on with this week's market reports. On Thursday, we saw that stocks had a strong showing after a quite start, quiet start of the week in terms of market-moving events. The major indices all closed near their best levels of the session with decent gains. The S&P 500, which closed above f- uh, uh, 4,500, and the NASDAQ composite climbed past its 50-day moving averages. Thursday's positive bias was driven by a couple of factors. There was a speculative buzz in the air surrounding the Arm Holdings ARM IPO, which opened for trading at 5610 There was also some central bank news and economic data that comported with a more hopeful economic outlook. Specifically, the ECB, uh, that's the European Central Bank, raised its uh, three key interest rates by another 25 basis points, but hinted it it might be done raising rates, thereby opening the door to claims that the move was a dovish hike. The People's Bank of China... Said that the required reserve ratio will be cut by 25 basis points, effective the 15th of September. That was yesterday, for all banks that didn't currently have a 5% reserve ratio. August's retail sales were up six tenths of one percent; they were stronger than expected. The August PPI report produced an inline core reading, with subpalpable year-over-year increases of 1.6% for the producer price index and a 2.2% for the core C- PPI, respectively. We also saw a relatively calm response to the data from Treasuries was another factor supporting stocks. Reviewing Thursday's economic data, we saw that weekly job claims were 220,000. Prior week was 217,000, and that was actually revised up from 216,000. Weekly continuing claims 1.688 million. That was also revised the prior week to 1.684 million from 1.679. The key takeaway from this report is the same. The low level of initial claims, which is the leading indicator, is reflective of a fairly tight labor market, which is the basis for why consumer spending continues to hold up in its face of inflation pressures and rising rates. We also saw the August PPI, that's producer price index, up 7 tenths of 1%. It was up sub- 3 tenths in July. Core um, uh, August PPI was up 2 tenths of 1%, and it was revised to 4 tenths of 1% from 3% three tenths a month before and we saw august's retail sales sales up 6 tenths of 1% the prior month was revised to a half a percent august retail sales for except autos were also up 6 tenths of 1% the key takeaway from this report is that gasoline station sales were up 5.2% at a big impact on the overall increase in retail sales excluding gasoline stations retail sales were up more modest 2 tenths of 1% which is suggestive of a consumer that is softening but not breaking. The July business inventories were flat, and that was revised from minus one-tenth of one percent the month before. On Friday, the stock market registered sizable declines in this quarterly options and futures expiration day. The S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the Russell 2000 gave back all their gains for the week, while the Dow Jones Industrial Average narrowed its weekly gain to a modest two-tenths of one percent. The major indices all closed near their worst levels of the session, which had the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ below their 50-day moving averages. Many stocks participated in downside moves, but mega caps and growth stocks had an outsized influence on the index performance. Weak semiconductor stocks had also weighed heavily on index performance. That weakness followed ARMS, uh, a, scheduled IP- a successful IPO, IPO on Thursday, A Reuters report that Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing is delaying its chip equipment shipments. Rising market rates and oil prices also contributed to the negative bias. Adobe was a top laggard after it understated its fourth quarter fiscal guidance, and notably General Motors and Stellantis, which is Chrysler, Jeep, uh, registered gains, despite falling and uh, failing to reach a deal with the UAW, which resulted in large targeted strikes at three manufacturing plants, one for each of the automakers. Uh, Ford, for its part, lagged its, uh, with a small decline. So, reviewing Friday's economic data, we saw that August report prices, import prices, were up a half a percent. The uh, prior month was to one tenth of one percent from four tenths. August import prices, if you took out oil, were down one tenth of one percent. August's export prices, uh, 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 ex- yeah, import prices, okay, export prices were up one point three. Prior was revised to a half a percent. August's export prices, if you took out agriculture, were up one point seven. September's Empire State Manufacturing Index was down nineteen. August's industrial production up four tenths of one percent. The prior was revised to seven-tenths of 1% from 1%, and August's ca- capacity utilization was at 797 prior was revised to 795 half. The key takeaway from these reports is that the motor vehicle assemblies were weak in front of what is now a UAW strike, so the outlook for industrial production in September will be constrained by expected disruption to auto manufacturing capability as a result of this strike. We also saw the September University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment. The preliminaries at 67.7. A month ago, it was 69.5. The key takeaway from this report is that consumer inflation expectations have come down. That is something that the Fed will like to see, but one is left to wonder if these expectations will remain and check if gas prices continue to increase. And so, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is now up 4.4%. The NASDAQ index is up 31%, the S&P 500 is up 15.9%, and the Russell 2000 index is up 4.9%. Take a quick look at our high-frequency data that we cover every week. We saw initial jobs claims, as I mentioned a minute ago, as of September 5th, we're at 220,000. That was a de- decrease, or an increase of 1.4%. Continuing jobless claims one uh, at one million six hundred eighty-eight thousand. Also, was an increase of a half a percent. We saw box office receipts for the weekend in August or September fourteenth take another huge drop down nineteen percent. Rail car traffic as of September eighth was down two tenths or six point two percent. Uh, steel production down a half a percent as of September eleventh. Hotel occupancy as of the 9th of September was up two tenths of one percent. I'm sorry, the hotel actually down 3.8%. TSA checkpoint data, 2,289,471 passengers a day. That was up two-tenths of one percent. Supply of motor gasoline as of the 8th of September was down almost 11%. And the global commercial flights as of September 14th were up nine-tenths of one percent. This is Dick Donahue with you with Wolf Wake Up Live. We'll be back in a minute.
2: So much better than that tent we stayed in last year. (laughs) We sure are putting this new RV to work. I'm glad we're here early because it seems that everyone has stepped up their mode of camping and, well... They're all here. I told you not to post about it last year. It was supposed to be our little secret, but now everyone knows. Well, Kent's Garden and Nursery's annual sale is just too good to be true. I had to show off all my fabulous new trees and shrubs, and now, well, we're the garden envy of all our neighbors. And that's why we're camped out waiting for Kent's to open. I'm ready to finish planting my pond, and with 30% off everything but the dirt, I think we can buy enough greenery to create that living fence between us and... You know who. Oh, oh, I see they're opening the gates. I got my trusty wheelbarrow. Let's go. Don't miss Kent's annual fall. Save 30% off everything but the dirt sale. Friday, September 9th through the 19th. It's the biggest sale of the year at the largest nursery in town at Kent's Garden and Nursery on Northwest Drive in Bellingham. Swans Clean Care and Restoration is excited because football season is here. Time to get geared up to watch the game, prepare the game day snacks, display your favorite team's colors, and invite friends and family over. But before you invite everyone over, it's time to get your carpets cleaned and deodorized because the last thing you want is Great Aunt Mildred complaining about how fresh your carpets are. Let the professionals at Swans Clean Care and Restoration get your carpets clean and ready this football season. Find them online at swanscarpetcleaning.com. You need a job? Go to HireMeWad.com. HireMeWad.com is Cascade Radio Group's hyper-local job board. It's free and easy to use. Just go to HireMeWad.com for the latest job openings and offers. You can apply right there. HireMeWad.com is available 24 hours a day. Check back often. New jobs are posted frequently. Don't see what you want? Post your resume and let prospective employers find you. HireMeWad.com, the go-to job board for Northwest Washington. HireMeWad.com. Your new job awaits. Tuning into the high school football game. Monitoring the incoming storm. They
0: say what I think, but smarter.
2: Catching your favorite talk show.
0: These are just few of the reasons more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio.
2: And AM radio is the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you and your family safe in dangerous times.
0: Visit wearebroadcasters.com to learn more and tell us how you depend on AM radio stations like KGMI. Latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Harness the power of the sun, reduce your carbon footprint, and save on your energy bills. You can now go solar with West Mechanical Heating, Air Conditioning, and Electrical. Get the latest news and information 24 7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 965 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com.
2: CBS News Brief. Auto workers are on strike. Union President Sean Fain says Detroit's automakers should give something back.
0: They've had a decade of, of excessive profits, a quarter of a trillion dollars in profits, and our members have fallen further and further behind.
2: The OIW wants a 40% pay hike over four years. It's been one year since Masa Amini's death in Iran after she was arrested by the country's morality police for allegedly wearing her height scarf improperly. This woman says conditions haven't changed. Every family has someone in prison or someone has been killed. So it can't be like before. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre is downplaying concerns about President Biden's age. What I can speak to is what this president has done, right? I can speak to his experience. I can speak to the wisdom that he has. I can speak to his record. The president is 80 years old. CBS News Brief, I'm Linda Kenyon.
0: And I'm proud to be an American
1: Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. So a report that I thought that was kind of interesting out this week talks about crude oil prices and how they remain below our most recent highs. And the Energy Information Administration, or EIA as we know it, reported that U.S. petroleum consumption averaged nearly 20.28 million barrels per day in 2022. That was an increase of almost 12% from the average daily consumption in 2020, according to its release. While many pundits estimate that petroleum usage will decline over the long term, oil was the most consumed energy source in the U.S. on an annual basis last year. The price of crude oil tends to fluctuate wildly based on a myriad of economic and market factors, but the EIA notes that. The changes in supply and demand caused by economic growth and contraction are often leading causes behind the price swings. The uh, post that we had contrasts the price of West Texas Intermediate Crude crude Oil, uh, West WTI, to a number of rotary drilling rigs, which is a proxy for supply, deployed in the U.S. on a weekly basis over a two-year time frame. So the average price, which is the daily data, of crude oil for this period of time, which is the last two years, was $85.10 a barrel. The highest closing price in that period was $123.70. That was back on March 8th of 22. And while it remains well off its most recent highs, the price of West Texas Intermediate oil, Crude Oil stood at $85.55 a barrel on the date of trading on the, September 1st at now over 91 but that's up 23.47% from its closing price of 69.29 on September 3rd of 2021, so a year earlier. And that's according to Bloomberg. The comparative purposes, the S&P 500 Energy Index posted an average annual return of 43.26% over this period of time, according to data from Bloomberg. The average annual total return for the S&P 500 was 1.37% over that same time frame the top performing energy sector which of which there are 5 was the S&P 500 oil and gas refining marketing subsector with an average annual return of 49.36% and the number of active oil rigs rose from 394 on September 3rd of 21 to 512 rigs on September 1st of this year and that's according to data from Baker Hughes the most recent high in the metric was 627 rigs on November 25th of 22. So, what is our takeaway from all this? Well, on September 1st of this year, the price of barrel stood at 85.55 a barrel. As I said now it's over 91. But that was 30.84% below its most recent high of 123.70 back on March 8th of 22. So, from our perspective, one reason the price of crude has yet to retest its most recent high it could be the rise in the relative value of the US dollar. From September 3rd of 21 through September 1st of this year, the period that we're looking at, the the US dollar rose by 13.26% against a bucket of or basket of major foreign currencies as measured by the US dollar index. Another could be weakening prospects for economic growth. uh, In the most recent World Economic Outlook published in July of this year, (coughs) excuse me. The International Monetary Fund. Estimates that the U.S. and global real domestic gross product will grow at just 1.8% and 3% respectively. That in 23, that's down from 59 to 6.3% in 21. In our view, if these forecasts prove to be wrong, it's possible that the price of oil could recover more quickly. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on what happens with all of this in the price of oil. You know, got a lot of money. A lot of assets, sometimes early giving, that can be a, a big help to the next generations. Building generational wealth changes the trajectory of your lineage in ways that only possible for the likes of kings and queens. Passing the torch to your children helps to ensure not only their bright future, but also the potential for infinite bright futures of all succeeding generations. Perhaps the best news, though, is that you don't have to die in order to start the process. You can effectively watch the transformation unfold in your own eyes as soon as today, providing a vehicle for greater and greater prosperity to the ones that you love the most. By leaving an early inheritance, you'll not only be able to witness the immediate benefits that your assets provide, perhaps even more importantly, you'll be able to better manage their intended use. But you need to be thoughtful in your giving. Leaving an early inheritance is as much a business decision as it is a personal one. Yes, you're doing it for the joy and sense of relief for your children when they need it most, but you should first and foremost be mindful of your own interest in the process. That doesn't mean dictating exactly what must be done with the money. Bossing your grown children around while holding their inheritance over their head is a quick way to lose their respect, and you don't want to be stuck micromanaging their endeavors either. However, You do have to make sure that you're not overgiving and that you should know the general purpose of the gift. So first of all, you need to know how much you need to live on before giving. It should go without saying. The parents sometimes make the horrific miscalculation of giving their children a larger early inheritance than they rightfully can afford. You might have a lot of more years left than you initially thought, but at least, least you ought to maintain the measure to live out the rest of your life in reasonable comfort. Counting on your children to use their inheritance to take care of your later years is a terrible mistake, particularly if your creditors end up seizing the money that you gave them. Rule number one, when it comes to giving, make certain that the needs that you're taking care of are your first and that before you open your purse strings to others. Then you need to know your purpose. Once you've determined that you can safely provide an early inheritance to your children, your next order of business is to know why you're doing it. Giving them license to go on a huge shopping spree at your expense is hardly doing them a favor. However, maybe they need a down payment in order to purchase a home of their own. Maybe they need a sizable sum of cover to to cover uh, tuition instead of taking on a crippling debt. Perhaps they're in the midst of getting a business off the ground and a gift from you is what they need to secure the requisite startup capital. While you can't necessarily dictate precisely how every dollar is going to be used, you can at least deserve to know generally what the money is used for, and what it's cause, and what why that it's a cause for your support. Let's give you an example of thoughtful giving: help with home ownership. While climbing housing prices and steep interest rates, a sizable down payment on a house might be one of the most sensible gifts. Maybe even the means to give your children enough money to purchase a condo or a starter outright. Talk about life changing. living mortgage-free is an advantage that could pay off huge dividends throughout the child's adult life, allowing them to invest large amounts of their earned income in lucrative investments that generate even more wealth for them. But should you give them that money outright? Well, maybe you want to proceed with caution. The federal government and certain state governments have set a limit on what you can give without tax consequences. Thankfully, These limits are exceedingly high by ordinary standards, but they exist nonetheless. When your son or daughter won't have to pay taxes on your gift, you'll have to report the gift to the IRS via Forms 30709, especially if it's more than $17,000, because you're allowed to give up to $17,000 a person yearly or up to $34,000 for married couples filing jointly. Currently, you have a lifetime exemption of almost $13 million that you can give tax-free. However, gifts under $17,000 or that $34,000 for a couple do not have to be rep- reported. This could prove advantageous, particularly for those with a net worth in tens of millions. One option is to set up this gift as a loan. If you want, you can have a payback the loan to your son or daughter on behalf of each year in the form of a gifted payment. It is below that $17,000 annual threshold. So, you can set up a loan and then you gift back to them the payment amount every year that's under that exclusion instead of having to do that filing. So what would happen if you pass per prior to the loan's full repayment? Well, you simply stipulate that the remaining balance is to be forgiven. You need to mind that lifetime, keep in mind that lifetime exemption. Speaking of the exemption, it's currently set high. Even when accounting for inflation, there's no telling, though, how long Congress is going to keep this limits in place. As our government increases its debt burden, it was to look for more ways to pay it down. Further taxing inheritances could prove to be an effective and popular strategy. Those with considerable wealth to transfer upon their death might want to grandfather themselves in at the current high exemption via the establishment of an inherited inheritance. Such strategies involve legal complexities and thus require the guidance of a trained estate planner. Nonetheless, an early inheritance on a, now might stave off the, an exorbitant tax, state tax bill later. Another giving advantage is that you help avoid probate. One reason, final reason to consider giving an early inheritance is that it automatically avoids the costly probate process. None of us accrues a lifetime of wealth with the intent to make lawyers richer because of improper planning on your part. Parceling out your fortune while you're still alive negates any probate proceedings. Your loved ones receive the benefit of the gracious giving without having to worry about paying off the attorneys in the process. That being said, probate may also be avoidable for traditional uh, uh, posthumous uh, inheritance as long as you've made stipulations of all your beneficiaries in advance. When to give away your wealth is an entirely personal decision. It requires significant considerations in order to maximize its potential benefits. Whether you choose to share your wealth while you're still alive or after you're dead, careful planning will help ensure that your legacy has a lasting impact on the ones that you cherish. The biggest mistake you can make is to forego planning altogether, in which case your wealth will be spread thinner amongst the pot of strangers that you're likely never have met or meant to have the money. Dick here with you with Wealth Wake Up Live. We'll be back shortly.
0: Decisions, decisions. Whether it's. No down, I love this land. God bless the USA.
1: Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you. Once again, if you got questions for me, give me a call 360 733 1200. Well, we're seeing that we're seeing some projections come out on the 24 Social Security cola. Right now, it's being seen as rising at 3.2%. The annual Social Security cost of living adjustment for 24 has itched up to 3.2% based on the latest Consumer Price Index data, according to estimates from the Senior Citizens League. The CPI data rose six tenths of 1%, its biggest monthly gain of 23. The inflation gauge increased 3.7% in the 12 months through August from 3.2% in the year through July, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The Social Security Administration is expected to announce its COLA for 24 in mid-October. Mary Johnson, who's the Social Security Policy Analyst for the nonpartisan senior group, the Senior Citizens League, said if the 3.2% COLA holds up, It would be the higher than average over the last 20 years, which was 2.6%, and the COLA forecast was for 3% in the last two months. Last year, Social Security recipients received an 8.7% raise. That's the biggest increase in more than 40 years. But nobody is getting rich. The reality is that the dollar amount of the COLA increase received is meager at best, with the monthly average retiree benefit of only $1,790 a month in twenty three, The average monthly benefit of $1,790 would jump $57.30 with the 3.2% COLA. But we're gonna not going to know that bottom line until Medicare Part B premiums are announced, and Part B premiums are automatically deducted from most Social Security benefits. The Medicare trustees' annual report forecasts that monthly Part B premiums will increase from $164.90 this year to $174.80 next year, so an increase of about $10 a person. However, that does not include any significant new costs that come after the estimate is released. The most significant new cost could be Medicare's coverage for the new Alzheimer's drug, uh, which is expected to cost $26,000 a year without insurance. Pretty expensive little drug. Okay. Also, we're seeing that inflation is basically dashing the retirement plans as investors wake up to the reality of price surges. We're seeing almost half of affluent investors in the U.S. say that inflation is killing their dreams of retirement, according to the 2023 Natixis Global Survey of Individual Investors. Even though the rate of inflation has cooled since hitting a four-decade high in mid-22, 84% of respondents said that the surge in recent years has woke them up to just how big a threat inflation is to their future income and savings. Many of those surveyed, also whom have at least $100,000 in investable assets, fear that they won't be able to work long enough to overcome the hit to their finances and their retirement plans. The big spike in inflation hit people hard, but they had a lot of uh, lingering financial trauma. For people on a fixed income, these spikes in food and energy forced them to meet, uh, make some hard choices. While inflation was seen as the greatest retirement investment risk, 77% of Americans say that they also worry about high levels of government debt that could cause cuts in Social Security benefits. Just under half have said that the benefit cuts are their greatest retirement worry and that a little more than half said that cuts would make it hard for them to manage financially. So it's hard to save right now. Saving more to combine inflation isn't an option for many, with about two-thirds saying that higher prices made it significantly harder to save for retirement, according to Natixis. A majority of the workers said that they'll have to work longer than expected, 38% fear that they won't be able to work as long as they want to, and on average, retired workers in the survey said that they left the workforce for years earlier than planned at age 61. As it is, over 40% of Americans say that they expect to have their live to live frugally in retirement. About 30% said that they to make ends meet that they'd have to turn to friends and family. About a third figure that they'll have to move somewhere with a lower cost of living in order to afford retirement. And the findings released on Wednesday from the survey, which uh, spoke to 750 working Americans in March and April, were included in the release of Nick 23 uh, Global Retirement Index report. Okay, well, also we're finding that uh, a lot of people are being hit with unplanned housing expenses. Uh, that in many cases that this is even causing a more heartache than health care. This is another study. For many retirees, unexpected housing expenses are a much greater negative impact on retirement than ex- unexpected health care, according to T. Rowe Price. The research looked at what expe- unexpected spending increases occurred in retirement and divided the increase with discretionary spending increases, which would be desirable, like being a, dr- uh, like a dre- dream trip. And non-discretionary increases such as needing a new roof on a residence or health care costs. The data found that retirees with annual resources of less than 150,000 predominantly had spending volatil- had spending volatility due to non-discretionary issues, while retirees with more than 150,000 income experienced volatility from discretionary increases, which they said could ultimately accommodate out of their control. Uh, for those under 150000 by far the most impactful re- expenses are not, were not health care, which everyone fears. Unplanned housing expenses amounted to more than 25.1% of their variance in spending, while health care accounted for only 5.3%. And although health-related expenses are typically the top concern when it comes to retirement expenses, data shows that housing both a larger contributor to expanding volatility, and by far it's the largest spending category before and throughout retirement. So the study analyzed data from the Institute of Social Research at the University of Michigan and tracked a uh, nationally representative set of 1,306 retired households over 14 years between 2005 and 2019, the research confirmed that over this course of retirement, retiree spending declines by roughly 2% a year, but the path of decline is full of, is full of far more ups and downs than con- conventional wisdom would suggest. And while many retirees expect their spending will decline over the years, the reality is that income strategies must be able to accommodate large unexpected uh, in expenses as much as 100% and sometimes lasting four years or more, according to this research. The research found that half of retirees experienced an unexpected spending increase of up to 25% on top of their uh, planned budget. A little over a quarter experienced an increase of 25 to 50%, and the remainder experienced an increase between 50 and 100%. In addition to increases that weren't necessarily qu- quick to, to retract, some uh, 15% of retirees who experienced increases were still living with. The increases after four years. So there's a lot of volatility when it comes to going out there and planning ahead. And we saw a report come out this week that says the, the state of Washington ranks 32nd in the Index of Freedom Report. Uh, Pullman, Washington-based uh, Schweitzer Engineering Labs published their 2023 Index of uh, Freedom Report and SEL Uh, is a global leader in creating products that protect, control, and automate power grids worldwide. The report ranks all 50 states based on government efficiency, regulatory freedom, and energy resiliency. And the top performing states in 2023 were Utah, South Dakota, North Dakota, Idaho, and Nevada. New Jersey, California, Maine, Vermont, and New York were the worst performing states. Washington came in at 32nd on this list, which is an improvement from 36th in 2022. The report's methodology for government efficiency, regulatory freedom, and energy resiliency breaks down multiple sources' reports on a weighted basis. For example, in energy resiliency, the report uses the Citizens' Utility Board and EPA reports for affordability ratings, which is weighted 45%, reliability ratings 45%, and electric regulation 10%. The SEL report focused on states where they have physical operations, including Washington, Idaho, Indiana, North Carolina, and Arizona. Washington's ranking of 32nd rates rests on issues around government efficiency, which are ranked 33rd, and regulatory freedom, where they rank 40th, and the state ranks 8th in energy resiliency. But the report notes that Washington suffers from a challenging regulatory climate for poor labor rates driven by some of the most progressive prevailing wage and minimum wage laws in the nation. While Washington has been buoyed by a lack of personal income tax, this newly implemented 7% capital gains tax set a dangerous and highly irregular process precedent as the Washington State Supreme Court characterizes tax as an excise tax, not an income tax as does the IRS and every other state in the country this ruling opened the door for more than tax policy bad tax policy in the state washington's energy resiliency score bolsters the state's overall ranking from robust reliable affordable hydroelectric power the report warns that the negative impacts of attempts to lessen or remove this critical source such as the removal of the stake river dams the washington falls short compa- comparable to idaho which ranked 4th overall The state has improved overall due to a change in the state's income tax, still flat tax on personal and corporate income. This also includes rebates back to citizens. They also lead the nation in regulatory freedom, which has led to robust growth in the state. The report notes that energy resiliency has suffered because of reliability, which can also harm businesses. So, interesting report. Washington ranks 32nd in the Index of Freedom report. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. As always, I want to thank you for listening. Don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. If you've got questions for me, give me a call. 360-733-1200. Thanks and have a great week.
2: On this show, are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.